Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand orienteering and navigation sports community. Tom, how's it going? Good. Another you were, sunny day, in, sunny, yeah. sunny day in the mountains here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were in Hamilton, but um, I don't know where you are these days. <laughs> no, it's taken me um, two years of zooming, and I've figured out how to add a background. So, pretty happy about this. This is up on the Craigieburn Range. Um, amazing cell phone reception, as you can tell from my very crisp video. Yeah, <laughs> um, very bright. It is the longest day. Might be in the evening, but it's very still very sunny up here. It's great. A lot of snow cover. I'm on the southern slopes, but yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. That's How are you? Cool. What's been happening? Yeah, I'm good. I'm training well. I'm really looking forward to Oceania. I've got some fitness back and I'm really keen to race hard. And I hope other people are entering. I know the entries were slow and that's totally understandable. Um, yeah, just everyone's a little bit uncertain, but we're, we're booked, accommodation, got the cars, and I'm taking the grassy knoll shop. So um, I hope it's going to be as, as big as I expected. Um, but yeah, I, I do understand if the uncertainty around events has kind of got to people now and they, they just, it's too hard. Yeah. No, nah, it'd be great. I, I unfortunately can't make it. I prioritized a gun on a big tramp, but um, yeah, pretty jealous. There's a few maps in there, which we're going to talk about later, which are pretty, pretty classic Canterbury maps, which will be a real treat to run on, I'm sure. Um, Sounds like you've also been along to a couple of training camps as well. Yeah, December is always a week, a month for the training camps. Uh, I'm often at the under twenty three camp uh, as a coach, and yeah, that's definitely a passion of mine. Um, pushing those uh, up and coming uh, young talents, uh, trying to yes, level them up in the forest. So it's great to see the more experienced orienteers there and really push their boundaries, and also the the younger people at the under twenty three camp who are. Uh, just tasting uh, high performance style uh, training for the first time. So yeah, I, I really like it. Nice, nice. Yeah, I haven't been to one for a few year, few years, but it's a really good way to consolidate skills. Having orienteering on back to back days, different sessions to develop different skills, um, and that's that relates well to our guest this month. You had a chat with Joe Lynch. Yeah, so Joe was at both of these camps recently as an athlete at the under 23 camp and as a coach at the Wellington junior camp. So uh, I chat to him about what he tries to achieve in these training camps uh, from, from both perspectives in those two different camps. And yeah, we just riff on a few of the things we enjoyed. So let's yeah, take a look. Cool. Right, hey, Joe, thanks for coming on NavChat. That's all right, Jane. Yeah, keen to hear about the camps that you've been on. Uh, I was with you on the under-23 camp, uh, but fill me in on the junior Wellington camp. Um, who was coaching and how did it work? Yep, there was four coaches. So it was myself, Brianna, Kaya and Simon. And there was about 25 kids from Wellington and also quite a few from Taranaki that had driven down some adventure races from there. And we were staying in Marston and did four days of training around Marston area and then a final sprint day in Wellington. Oh, cool. What kind of uh, age and abilities is this camp pitched at? They were high school. I think there was a few year 13s, but sort of more you know, 
10, 11. Um, so there was mainly red people, but some orange, orange level. Okay. Right. So they're all pretty experienced. It wasn't uh, quite a beginner camp. Yeah. No, experienced orienteers. Um, they were doing some trainings without tapes or anything out in the forest. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what kind of exercises do you um, give to uh, those kind of kids? And just winding it back a bit, how do you pitch uh, the whole idea of doing training for orienteering uh, to them? Yep. Um, so I think the point of these camps sometimes is to break down the skills that the more experienced people at under 23 camp do a bit more subconsciously, um, but they might not be doing those schools at quite the same level and so we sort of yeah break down exercises into a certain thing um one of those which i can bring up was focusing on attack points so this is in mingi mingi forest and this exercise which i believe might have been planned by lara originally had a whited out area in the control circle for everything but the actual feature. And therefore this was forcing them to pick an attack point that was outside of the circle um, for them to navigate from. So all these um, all these runners knew what attack points were, but this made them sort of focus on that technique and very consciously choose an attack point for every control. Um, since they didn't have the whole map available to them. Yeah, that's right. So, for example, number one, there's a hill just before the circle, just kind of on the edge of the circle, and you want them to double down on using that as the destination and then um, really ticking that off uh, as the attack point. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's I think cool. I had, had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, when, when you ask, I think, the orienteers at this age about attack points, I think they all, they all understand the idea. But the challenge for, for all of us really is actually doing it properly when we're under pressure, right? Those, those habits tend to um, be hard to muster on race day once you're getting a little bit stressed. So it's good to break them down and just do one simple concept at a time really entrain uh, that process yes that's very true and further on in the camp on some other trainings we had some of the coaches running behind the athletes and telling them without stopping can you tell me what your attack point is or what the next feature you're navigating to and then maybe exit direction as well um yeah so trying to do that while they're running without um yeah so stopping to look at the map to yeah sort of check that they are yeah. already doing this yeah that's, that's putting the pressure on them um, for sure i don't that's, know how how good i would have been doing that as a kind of beginner red or an, an orange level orienteer i'm not sure i understood things quite that well at this age so yeah that's only like um, pretty decent training and how does that compare to the under 23 camp um, from your perspective so at the under 23 camp i guess most of our trainings we're not having a big talk at the start about specifically like this exact technique we're doing um and we don't have to ask what is an attack point what makes a good attack point we should all be able to do that ourselves um but it is sort of 
fine tuning. And I think also for a lot of us, it's quite a um, intense period of orienteering to sort of regather all those skills, which we might, yeah, might become a bit rusty, rusty over time. Um, this was one exercise that focused a lot on our compass. So we had an area of map at and just around the controls. And then between there, it was all blacked out, except for some little portions if you needed some safety. And so this is really forcing us to keep a really good compass bearing and probably a bit of distance estimation as well. Um, yeah, so that's obviously not realistic in an actual race. You won't have a map like this. Um, but yeah, some of us will definitely lose that compass skill a bit over time. So yeah, it's really yeah, it's definitely getting points. more advanced. Like you wouldn't throw a beginner red um, oh. in this exercise um, mm -hmm. straight away. Yeah. So how did you find um, these exercises? Uh, were you were you rusty, or have you done some more orienteering in the latter half of the year? I have done a have done a little bit. Um, lucky being in Christchurch, we have had a few events and trainings. Um, I didn't find this too bad. I really got into a good rhythm. Um, was a little bit left on number one, but after that, I sort of flowed through all the controls quite well. We were um, lucky, and the plan is to be a little bit nice. Sometimes we had a window in the middle, so this is really one of those cases we take a compass. You don't have to worry about the control at all. You're just getting to this window, and then that's almost your attack point, sort of, uh, before you're going into three. Um, but, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this training, and it did force me to focus on my compass a lot more than in a usual league where I'll use it in a combination with other techniques and, yeah, perhaps not getting the most out of the compass work. We did a lot of high-intensity stuff at the under-23 camp as well. How does that fit into your training specifically for orienteering as a, the, the navigation side of it as opposed to the physical side of it? I really like the high-intensity stuff. Um, I think my brain sort of switches into another gear when I'm doing that. Um, if I'm not sort of, you know, in that flow, like I was for the compass exercise, sometimes my orienteering can be very lazy. So I think that afternoon we had a sort of middle middle distance type race, um, a mass start, which was two loops, and I went full speed for the first loop and then slowed down for the second loop. And I feel... I do start, yeah, sort of my mind wanders when I'm not right in the zone racing at full speed. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I get a lot of value about or from racing um, at that high intensity within a training session. Yeah, I also find that if I've done a lot of orienteering training, yeah, at a slower pace, then uh, I, I still feel rusty going into a new mm -hmm. race. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, had any practice at getting the, the process going fast and so i yeah take shortcuts in order to get it all to fit into my brain so yeah i, I definitely agree that doing things um, faster concentrates me a bit more uh, as well so yeah i think there's quite quite useful stuff to do on a training camp and bringing the pressure with other people around 
um, yeah, I hate doing that stuff in a race without having done that at training. Yeah. I find it, yeah, I get focused, but then there's also this huge distraction of other people around you. Yeah. It does give you a lot of, a lot of confidence when you've done, you know, you've done that stuff in training before. It's just yeah. the race is just another one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So how do these training camps fit into the whole season for you? For me, this is sort of, well, it's a pause from my regular running schedule. Um, normally I do be doing intervals on the track or something a couple of times a week. Um, but we are still doing quite a bit of high intensity stuff, especially with the, with the sprint training. Um, and some of the exercises we took quite easy sort of jogging. Um, but in the forest, it does take a lot out of, more out of your legs than normal training. Um, so I sort of use this as a chance to really boost my nav. I try to come into it with um, high level of fitness. And then this is, yeah, it takes my nav up to the next level. In the ne next few weeks, I'll be doing more running training and maybe the odd orienteering if I can fit it in before Oceania, January. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite convenient timing with Oceania coming up that we could get in some really good quality training. Uh, would have been a massive shock to go into those races without uh, any orienteering. Um, I do find it's obviously convenient to have these camps in December. It seems to be a good time where everyone can um, take time away from the other things they do to all come together. Uh, but they do float out on their own a little bit. Um, so, it, yeah, it's definitely great to, to have it in the middle of the off-season. Um, maybe in the future we can have some more uh, closer to some of the races. It seems to be a thing happening a little bit more. Uh, recently, we've had some mini camps. Yeah, especially sort of following through to nationals. You don't want to yeah, lose all this momentum that you've built. Um, so just sort of, yeah, keep, keep building that up to nationals and other trials and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that has put you in a good place coming into the uh, not Oceania championships. Um, I'm sure the racing will be as hot as ever. So um, yeah, good luck for those, those races coming up and I'll see you down there. Thanks, Jane. It'll be good. Yeah. Good to hear from Joe. Did you find it interesting? Yeah. Ah, oh, man, I miss those camps. I need to, um, I need to prioritize getting back along to them. I think he's, he's really hit on some of the really valuable things that uh, that a training camp has to offer. He obviously is a guy who's got a lot of thought into his orienteering. He's very good at his orienteering as well. And it was just, it was, it was quite motivating to hear him, motivating to hear him talk about it. Yeah. Um, I found it really motivating and scary um, with that. Joe is definitely the um, fastest person at the camp. Uh, I couldn't keep up with him in the forest. So it's a kick up the bump for, for me as well to um, really knuckle down over these final weeks before uh, the uh, Oceania races. Uh, yeah, and it was great for my orienteering as well. As a coach, I'm doing hours each day of either chasing people or putting out uh, markers beforehand. And yeah, it's good for me. Yeah. In terms of learning, I think there were a couple of interesting things that he kind of he kind of alluded to and what he was talking about. There was the, the different speeds and the relevance of bringing different speeds of orienteering into your training i think is something that's really relevant to pull out of what joe was talking about and something that everyday orienteers can apply um we've often talked about the concept of orienteering speed and running speed and how it's this dynamic relationship between how fast we can run and how fast we can orienteer 
Is that something you have you talk about with people you coach? Yeah, it is something I talk about. And the great thing about under 23 camp is people understand this. They've experienced these kind of these concepts themselves. So you can actually talk about it uh, more formally and people get involved in the discussion. So it is something that I've also grappled with uh, in trying to come to terms with my own orienteering. And yeah, now I, I really use training camps as a way to leverage my understanding of that trade-off between running speed and navigation quality. And the great thing about a training camp is you've got the time to tackle that from both ends, right? You can mm. do slow stuff in the morning and then have a rest after an hour and a half of orienteering and then do a half an hour kind of race simulation in the afternoon with a, a mass start uh, and re- really yeah, train that, the, the navigation quality from one perspective and then train that like high pressure simplification style of navigation in the mass start. Because to unpack that a little bit more for the everyday orienteer, lots of people in orienteering have a kind of trajectory, which is quite um, improvement, then a plateau, or perhaps getting worse, then an improvement, then a plateau, and getting worse. And often that gradual process corresponds with um, the improvement comes as your orienteering speed increases. As your fitness also rises as well, you get to a point where your fitness surpasses your speed of being able to orienteer you enter a plateau period or a slight decline before you're able to make the next step with your orienteering and again start to improve it's that technical element that is often holding people back as their fitness gets better so i guess with a a training camp what you're trying to do is you're trying to not just teach and practice these skills at a slow speed but to give people an opportunity to put them into practice while they're at their physical limit, but those faster afternoon sessions as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think the buck stops with those faster sessions. Um, if you can't handle them in training, then probably can't handle it in a race either. So are coming off in training, you're going to be like, you're doing too much risking to try and run that in a race. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes people are fine at the slower speed, uh, but then the wheels fall off when you're going faster. So the buck does stop with that faster training. And you could say that a lot of the slower training is just preparing your brain so that your pattern recognition and your mental models are actually in place to enable you to do that simplification in the faster high intensity orienteering. Yeah. And that's a good point. That's when you talk about simplification and mental models and things, we can kind of think a bit more broadly in terms of problem solving techniques and like, I guess, um, sort of been into psychology theory, I guess, but trying to think of the concept of heuristics and how they apply to orienteering. So heuristic is like a approach to problem solving that is an approximate, I guess, uh, any method that kind of gives you a prox- an approximation or a practical method to solve something that might not give you the exact answer, but would allow you to process it more quickly. So an example in orienteering, which we all know is simplification. We are trying to, we've got a complex map. We want to simplify the mental model, simplify the map of the terrain and go and more efficiently complete a task. Um, The important thing though, is that heuristics bring with them a whole lot of traps and things that are really relevant that can trip us up. And I think a lot of the time in increasing speed and orienteering, it's these heuristic traps where we start to encounter the limitations of these mental models that slows us down. 
Um, an example being would be, um, for example, we have uh, like human humans have a bias to like recency or to first scene. So if we are expecting to, if we've if we've done something and something's happened before, we're more inclined to expect that to happen again. Um, another one would be like our anchoring bias, and that's super relevant in orienteering. That's parallel error, right? We've used, we've employed a heuristic like simplification to try and tackle a complicated leg. We have seen what we think are the features because we've been rushing and going quickly, but we've actually had anchoring bias. We've been expecting to see a hill with a small knoll. We've misidentified something, and then we've because we're using the simplified problem-solving model, we've been drawn off down this path. Um, and I think that if we reflect on our orienteering when we're trying to go faster, it is our, our mental models and our ability to execute them don't increase as fast as our running speed. Yep, yep, definitely. Definitely, I think that's true. And I think that maps onto my teenage years of orienteering pretty closely. I'd get better and then my navigation would seem to get worse i'd just have yeah like a bad half a year and then i'd kind of get better for the next few years so yeah i i definitely um understand that and yeah i think that mental models and simplification is is the, the final skill really to it never really ends you're always fine-tuning and improving these um, fast decision making skills but yeah orienteering is not about making things more complicated all all the way to the end uh, it's actually um, coming up with these shortcuts and simplifications that uh, makes the, the final steps once you've got a grip on it um, from, from then onwards. So, yeah, it is about coming up with these simplifications. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think you, it is a pretty complicated skill. We can try and break it down into its little bits, but then we have to be able to put them back together and execute them really quickly. So there is definitely a place in training for these sessions that joe was talking about where you have broken everything down and then you try and run it together really quickly um because ultimately orienteering is about speed so you need to have not just practice the individual parts but have step by step increase the speed that you can execute them um and i think while you're doing it i think it's really i think i it won't appeal to everybody, but I like the concept of like thinking of heuristic traps when analyzing your own tearing and trying to think what were the problem solving techniques I was using to shortcut this complex challenge and where was I tripping up and is there something that's repeatedly yeah. happening? Can I address it? And then I need to test my solution at increasing speed in orienteering to make sure that it's applicable on race day. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the message I'd send to my younger self is, to kind of get on top of this concept of heuristics earlier. I think I spent too many years trying to navigate more intensely and, and trying to read more and read more. And it, it kind of just went against the grain of my brain a bit too much. I think that there are some, there were times when I was not reading enough, obviously, but I yeah, eventually realized there's a limitation to that. <laughs> you actually can't read everything. Absolutely. And to get better, even, you need... You need to have things to focus on and just saying you're going to navigate harder is actually counterproductive. Yes. And even if you do manage to navigate harder, at what cost? Like you have That's to navigate right. better, but not harder. Uh, and understanding that distinction earlier, I think 
um, might have helped me a little bit, but it was seeing a few top orienteers like Thierry Jojo do it, and even Warren Key in Australia is quite big on this uh, quite intense simplifications and seeing those guys do so well with it kind of made me just re- rethink it really challenged my my worldview <laughs> yeah yeah it'd, it'd be quite interesting probably to sit down with a bunch of orienteers who have who have been around for a little while and just to hear what they or maybe have them mic'd up while they were running a leg and just sort of like commentating what they were thinking because it would be really interesting to see how different kind of mindsets and different like mental models are applied in the real world Maybe that's a 2022 project to try and do a couple of mic'd up legs with people commentating what they're doing, mistakes yes. and all. I would love to, actually. And we do a bit of this verbalization stuff on, on the training camp. Um, and there's a, a very distinct difference between those who are really on top of the orange chairing and uh, those who are newer to the kind of high-performance stuff. You can really see uh, just the... Uh, the specificity and the, the focus in what they're looking for and what they're talking about. Whereas with someone who's a bit newer to high performance, they're commenting on a few things and then there's a gap where they're not really sure what to think about. And yeah, you can really notice a difference. So that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm really keen to mic up if we can get some something that sounds good. Write that down for NavChat 2022. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, should we roll into our news segment what's been happening around uh in orienteering in new zealand and around the world you've got some stuff queued up for us yep quick reminder select team selections are open at the moment so if you're interested maybe you're not certain but if you're interested just put your name down for jaywalk or world orienteering champs um there'll also be a selection uh, at some point for world university orienteering champs so um, have, a, have a think. If you're not sure, put your name down and take a look at the European calendar. Lots of races to do in Europe. Could be the first year we can travel for a while. So hey, I put my name down for walk and I'm not sure if I'll make it. I'm not sure if I'll be in good shape at trials, but um, don't leave yourself out. Sweet. Nice. I'm too old. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> Um, IOF ranking awards. Yeah. Another, so this, a new set of awards from IOF. Tell yeah, us about them, Jane. This is new. So orienteering is a Europe kind of eccentric sport, but it's trying not to be. It's trying to um, remind everyone God that it's, God is it, trying. It, it's a global sport. Um, but I mean, there's such a concentration of people in Europe, but there are all these regions that um, do have their own regional orienteering champs like we have at Oceania um, Championship over here and uh, there IOF is acknowledging just the top athletes from from all regions so um, congrats to Tim Robinson and Lizzie Ingham for being uh, announced as the the top um, male and female Oceania orienteers so that's cool. Shout out a shout out for New Zealand against Australia and what I'd argue is Mm. the strongest region outside of Europe yeah, I think that's, that's definitely true. The New Zealand and Australia competition has um, got stronger and stronger, I think. And a non Europe, we could start an, a rival non Europe walk. Yeah. Non European, in EOC, <laughs> non European orienteering champs. Anti Europe champs. Anti Europe, yeah. 
Um, yeah, nice work. Lizzie and Tim, top of the game for a long time. It's good to see. Yeah. It's, now, you it's mentioned great. this at the start. You're off down to Oceania, um, or not Oceania, champs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've looked at this program and I'm pretty excited. I think the quality is through the roof, actually. These are all great areas. Um, I'm really looking forward to all of them. Uh, there's no specialization. Um, I'm going to be taking every day as if it's um, the race I'm there for. Uh, I've got a few, few maps to look at, um, if you're keen. Is, yep, sounds good. Is Leithfield. So this has been used for uh, that middle distance. Uh, the No, sorry, it's the, the uh, two-person relay now. So it's mm. not the Oceania relay. They're doing a two-person relay. Uh, this is. I've run here. I've run here like years ago. Yeah, we tend to hang out in this coastal detail yeah. section quite often. I'm not sure which part of the map they're using, uh, but it's cool. Uh, I really, really rate this area. It's uh, that like it's got the big wide open areas that you think, oh, I'd just use your compass in there, and then it's also got the super intense detail, and you think, I'll read the detail, but probably need to use your compass in there just as much. Yeah, here's an example of a race I did a few years ago at Leithfield, and uh, you can see me just faffing in the green, like not really being decisive enough. You really just need to be going much straighter like, than what I'm kind of wobbling around a little bit in there. You can go straighter um, in the white as well. You can definitely go straighter. And in the, in the really detailed area, it's really about that simplifying and hitting the trails fast and just finding the really distinctive features because it's there's so much going on there. Um, if you if you lose contact, there's it's gonna be very tough to relocate. Yep, so, definitely repetitive yeah. features, lots yeah, of parallel lots, error lots. risk. Don't take the beach. Let's bet the beach is slow, Sandy. <laughs> Sandy thing. Yeah. Is that what you now remember? this next map? Yeah. Oh, I can remember. Yeah, this is the rule of thumb everywhere, isn't it? Never take the beach. The beach is always the wrong route choice. Um, now, this is a good map. This is yeah. a legendary map. Yeah, I, I do think it is kind of legendary because it is so unique. And we also see it so often as we drive. If you ever drive to Arthur's Pass, and you've um, had your face pressed against the glass, wondering if that area was available for orienteering. It's across the road from Castle Hill, uh, just a few kilometers further down. And it's a magnificent sight from the road. And it's even more magnificent when you're orienteering there. It's got these yeah, amazing labyrinth uh, areas between between the rocks and cliffs, maybe more so than the Castle Hill map on the other side of the road. Which yeah, is I'd say so. More the, slope adds, the slope adds an interesting dynamic to it as well. The fact that you've got to, you do have some contour information to help you underneath, but also to confuse you. Yeah, so... Yeah, there, there is contour detail, uh, as you can see, and the slopes and the gullies are mixed in with that. So, yeah, it's, it's this, this little one. wee area here. Last time I oriented on this little wee area was at Twork, and oh. we had a topo map. Yeah. <laughs> trying to find controls in this area. So, go figure. I mean, it was, it was perfect Twork terrain, absolutely perfect. Um, very difficult to find the controls. Um, I, I don't know about Eugene, but events that stick in mind here are like downhill intervals in yeah. the steep rock area. Yeah, I'm um, just looking at this. There is a bit of a, uh, it's not all downhill. There are some, some definitely downhill vibes 
here. Yeah, 19, 11, 12. 9, 10, 11, yeah. 12. Yeah, so uh, this was the last time I was on this map also. Uh, this was a training camp. Uh, this is not my GPS. This is Nick Hand's GPS. And, yeah, he's hitting most things pretty well. Very tidy. Um, pretty tidy. Oh, a little bit of a wobble, actually, 10, 11, a little bit. Although maybe that's his route choice. He's tried to stay outside the detail and it's, then cut it. it yeah, it? yeah, it's definitely a safer way. I think it would have been faster to come from the top into 11. But, hey, I think just keeping smooth through this terrain, you should, should do pretty well. Yep. Um, overall, just no, no getting trapped behind those big cliffs. Nice. Oh, yes. Such a good so, terrain. Very yeah. jealous you get to run it. What about it. the long distance? Where are we heading for the long? Or where are you heading for the long? I think we're heading here. So, Laidmore, this is not an area I'm familiar with. Uh, we're, we're north of Christchurch. And, yeah, Pine Forest. So, so mixed, uh, mixed natives in the gullies. Uh, maybe there's some open, open on the map as well. Really not sure uh, what they've got in store for us here, but... Uh, Obviously, I'm always excited for the, the long-distance races and pretty keen to push the limits uh, of myself and um, you know, leave it leave it all on the line. So this looks like a new area, which is yeah, really exciting. Sweet. Very good. And finally, I just wanted to uh, get excited about these races in Omaru the, the weekend after. So the final two races of the, the whole series. Um, definitely not missing these. So Humpy Bumpy is our limestone area. Uh, I couldn't find a map for that, but uh, I was there in 2009 for Oceania, so a long time ago. Um, but I remember it being quite fun. When were you last at Humpy Bumpy, which is not this map, but the that open farmland limestone area, slump, slumpy, and cliffs and stuff. Canterbury Champs, maybe? Some it's years ago? Yeah, it's definitely been used more recently, and I haven't yeah. been there. Um, I, I agree. I think that, yeah, there's some real hidden gems down that part of the world. Yeah, and this is um, Curry Hacker. So we used this for Nationals three years ago. And there's a lot more of this area, uh, of this um, Kanuka, these Kanuka forested valleys. Uh, there's, there's a lot more of this to the nor north and, and west of this area. So, uh, man, this would be cool if they could map more of it. I'm really looking forward to this, this area specifically. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was just kind of wild, but the forest was pretty uh, easy to get through. So, um, such a treat to be in a kind of a wilderness feeling environment, not like an artificial pine forest. Um, definitely had that wild vibe, but it was very accessible and you could run through the forest quite nicely. Really cool. Sweet. I've never been there, so one to put on the list. Yeah. Now, heading internationally, you've got a few more, we've got a few more maps to talk about. Oof, we have, we have so. World of O always do a route to Christmas in December. They post one uh, really interesting route choice that they've seen over the year. And um, this is one to take take a look at. Uh, so, yeah, you can jump on uh, worldofo.com and you'll see all the route, route to Christmas links are all over the front page there. Uh, there is a lot of new mapping stuff here. For those who haven't seen the underpasses yet and how they're mapped in the new version of Iceprom, uh, there is yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot going on here. 
Yeah. yeah. When you think about like the idea of our mental models, how we uh, we're visually recognizing these orienteering maps and simplifying them quickly to make decisions, we're going to have to recalibrate that for sprint orienteering. And the new symbols haven't really been used in New Zealand much. This is. Can you uh, run through the green hashed area? So the grey black striped area. Yes. So there's a building on top and it's underpass underneath. Oh wow! So from but is it the same level of? So from yeah. six to seven. Could you? This is where this underpass. Is... Could you go under? So head like north towards the road in the underpass. Yeah. Oh, um, oh there's a. Yeah, so here's a zoomed in bit. So this is the area of interest and it's actually really quite hard to work out because you can actually get very close to the control but you're on the wrong level. And it's probably a bit too hard to, um, or I could draw a, a little bit, a little bit on the, on the map here. Yeah, you can come in, you can come in here, um, but you're actually uh, kind of trapped. You're actually, this is actually on the lower level. You, you, you can only get here through here actually which is underpass all the way out or coming into the control like this wow. and yeah so it's it's an absolute trap and you have to realize that um beforehand so this is all on top um on top through here basically so Oof. so that's that's yeah no good you can actually if you if you're standing here Basically, this just looks like a big build, big building. This this is just at the top level. This is just all building here. So, um, so it's no good. It's no good to be up there. Um, you had a big article that explained all this. A big a link to an was there. A yeah, that's right. So, um, navigationsports.ca. Uh, they go in depth on this area, and I think it's worth noting that I'm not sure that this area would be okay for a race i think this is quite cool for training which is kind of what they're doing with it because it is well, we'll see we'll see um, but i haven't actually been to the terrain and the mappers talk about how long it took them to come up with this interpretation but as you can see it's very hard to interpret what's going on when there's three layers together i think that's that's the part that makes it really hard to race on when there's three layers yeah it's wow. kind of a, ambiguous so they've done a really great job and as far as pushing the boundaries of uh, sprint mapping, um, this is this is the frontier. So um, huge kudos to to Jeff and uh, we check a link in the podcast notes. For working this out. Um, yeah, I'll definitely make this link easily available because you should go straight here and read this article now if you're serious about um, sprint orienteering uh, in the future because you have to know how to interpret these multi-level things. They are coming um, multi-level orienteering. The new sprint standard enables you, these areas to actually be used as multi-level areas, whereas before it was just unusable. So we've got to get our heads around that. Nice. You had something else from Rich Christmas, another map? Yeah. Oh, this I, one. I thought, yes. I, I thought I'd bring this one up. Most of them are recent maps, and I saw this little gem in the Rich Christmas. Old, like, other antiquated antiquated <laughs> orienteers like myself might remember this absolutely who won, who won this race olav londonez i believe olav londonez as a junior yep. 
Um, yep, Jaywalk 2007, yeah. my first Jaywalk. Um, this was near Dubbo. Sapper Bulga? Can't remember. Can't remember the map name, but a really, really cool map. It's um, very, as you can tell, very rocky. This is one to 15,000. The, there'd been a bit of rain proceeding because it was in August. It was um, actually like pretty green for Australia. And we'd trained on it earlier or adjacent areas earlier in the summer and everything was dead and brown. But this was like green and lovely and mm. yeah, very cool area. I remember and that stony on the ground, like all the, the stony ground rocky. mapping. But like, are these little stones? Like the, uh, the small black like, dots? Like, sort of like, if my memory is right, they were, you could run on them, but like it was definitely like uh, like rock sized rather than small pebbles. Yeah. So okay. not quite rock hopping, but like yeah. an uneven surface. Mm. And I just remember a lot of this was about like uh, contour reading and then joining up the areas of the gray, the open rock. Um, Did you go around the bottom or uh, d- up and I, This was a long time ago, Jane. I <laughs> could not tell you. I, I tend with, to remember some analysis of the winners and they were doing a lot of evasive maneuvers, stuff yeah. like this. And there was yeah, a lot of time lost by people trying to Go through the I think I used a lot of saddles. I think I did use saddles a lot, but I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I can. I have some. I have some memories. I remember there was this heinous slope above the event arena, which you could see from the arena, which had like multi-level cliffs and boulders. And I can remember that once you finished, you watched. You just saw people like stumbling around trying to find these controls. It was very well set. It was a great, great course. Um, good memories. Yeah. Um. And then course of the year is something else World of O is doing. World of O, I don't know how they put out all this content. Yeah, it's, it's big, big time for them um, at this time of the year. So, yeah, and when they have world champs and stuff, like the amount of in-depth analysis they do, it's so good. Does Jan Kovac have some sort of bot that writes some of his articles? I don't know. For his analysis? I don't know. I think he does. I think I, think I remember. Certainly there's... Yeah, I think he does. I don't know about these ones, but anyway, that's a different story. Um, yes, he's got some smarts definitely working. Like the analysis he does is obviously scripted, some, yep. um, which is which is great because that's how you process data, right? You don't, no, no, no one's going to get it done doing it all manually, so that's cool. Yeah. And you, so this is for courses of the year, voting? Yeah, um, um, two days, two days left. So uh, you can definitely vote if you want to get some... Um, so, Gene, what's your one that you thought was most interesting? So, or unusual. This is, um, so, the, the, this is this is my. I don't think it's, it's course of the year, but it's pretty novel, and I would love to do it just to say I've done it because it looks bloody hard. Yeah. Um, just so much repetition. It's such a strange area. The contours are kind of just wiggly and sparse, and you've got all these pits and depressions. Is this? Is this like a World War II bombing? Like, I just cannot imagine how such a terrain is formed. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's very unusual, very unusual. Loads of little pits. It certainly looks man-made, doesn't it? Something, some sort of mining or maybe. So that's yeah. interesting. What about your favourite course of the year? So this is from there, from Spanish, Spanish champs, um, long distance. I thought this was bonkers. Uh, you've got some very interesting spur going terrain with these 
just patches of kind of Australian style cliffs and boulders splattered, um, not consistently as well. Like it's very dense in some places and then you've got these faster bits. So it looks like an absolute blast. Uh, I would love to do this area. Um, most of the forest seems white. I'm not quite sure what the undergrowth is like, but it could be quite fast if, if the white is, you know, sparse trees. Mm. as there is somewhere sometimes in Spain often there's some like spiky grasses and stony stony ground that slows you down but getting that contrast with that really fast uh fast running um, means it's very interesting to get the route choices to avoid the slow stuff you know straight is, is just not great um, you've got to be yeah. got to be smart about uh, the lines you're picking so this looks outstanding I, I definitely um this is my vote for course of the year very nice um and then last to wrap up news and things it's more of a like onz public service announcement yeah basically jobs um if you're interested in orientarian mapping then get involved there is an onz mapping committee and they help discuss some of the new zealand specific rules and help support clubs to uh, conform to those rules and there's also um mountain bike uh, orienteering as well and and now you've seen the new sprint or sprint standard stuff that we've got to grapple with and in addition to just the standard forest orienteering so um, yeah if you're keen get involved um, this is a committee that i'd love to be involved in if i had more time uh, just really into the, the mapping side of things um, but yeah this one won't be for me but for someone else who is um, interested in mapping then nice Contribute, get a get a job. There's not a paid job. I'm not sure if it's really a job, but it's um, certainly a, a contribution that will not be unnoticed. An interesting way to stay abreast with all the mapping developments too. Um, put your many hours pouring over maps to productive use for the community. Yeah, definitely. So that's about all we've got for this month. Um, Plenty of maps for people to froth at if there's any rainy days coming up over the holiday period. Um, just feel like a parting thought to think about. I was thinking, Gene, you've got a multi-day event coming up. There are lots of different ways you can run a multi-day. Um, what's your favourite format for running a multi-day? Do you want the ocean, no, no Oceania style where there's like a sprint, a middle, a long, it's all like individual events? Or are you a O-ringan style cumulative time person do you want points for um each day and there's a winner at the end what do you reckon yeah it's funny you ask because i've never i've done all, all three of those combinations and i've never felt like i was missing out either but now that you ask the question i realize i, I quite like the the o-ring and style with the with the mass start on the last yeah the chase like start all, last all day. coming to a yep. head on that last yep. day I, yeah i really like that but i've never felt like i was missing like we were missing something when we do like the oceania like this um so yeah there's obviously not a huge preference there but i do think i like that um coming to a head and there being like a final champion uh of, of the kind of series um so that obviously doesn't work very well if you have two sprints and you know two middles and a long because the times blow out on the long distance and that kind of dominates 
the results. So then, yeah, you're back to that Oceania, try to make that, that, that old kind of Oceania you reference with the point system each day to kind of equate the um, the series. But maybe it's less like about that and more about that chasing start. <laughs> I think I just love that. You could have like start. your four day multi, you could have your like four day multi day points and then on your last day put the points together and there's like a chasing start with gaps maybe maybe like the start order on the last day is just reverse finish order yeah yeah um, I'm, a, and, I'm a points i'm a points advocate okay. i like the i like the points yeah well interesting ideas because um northwest is planning some things for for next year and um, we're going to try to do some more interesting um stuff like this to kind of experiment and um, try some new things so uh, Northwest has done some great chasing start things in the past, and yeah, you might just see you might just see this um, in twenty twenty two. Some uh, maybe not full long distance chasing starts, but like a multi day distance chasing start. Man, exciting! Very exciting. Should we leave it there? Yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, happy holidays, everyone, and. Yep. Uh, see you yeah in 2022 sounds good catch you Gene have a great break if you liked the show please support it by sharing this podcast with one person who would benefit from it the best place to find more content like this is at genebeverage.nz where you can find years of training blogs race reports podcasts and coaching videos If you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz or by following on social media, Perfect Flow on Facebook and Gene Beverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages to nav at perfectflow.nz.